0: Hi, this is Steve. In some ways, Martin Scorsese's film Taxi Driver seems to come very much out of a particular time and a particular place. This was an era where our tour directors had the freedom to explore darker and more personal themes than had ever been expressed on film. It is the Vietnam veteran coming home to a world where he no longer fits, It is the troubled, violent streets of New York in the 1970s, an era of urban rot, political disillusion, and the rise of a kind of chaotic violence which seemed to shake the very pillars of civilization. The world has changed so much since then, and yet there is something about Taxi Driver which seems just as relevant, powerful, and disturbingly familiar today as it was when the movie premiered 42 years ago. This is not an easy film, and it doesn't give easy answers. Instead, it offers a window, the rare chance to see the world through the eyes of a man who was at once sympathetic and psychopathic, a mass murderer, and yet, from some perspectives, a hero. As always, you can buy or stream Taxi Driver and any other movie we've reviewed through our website, cinephiles.net. That's C-I-N-E dash dot net. So that's part two of the completely unique Deeply disturbing and entirely captivating taxi driver this Friday on The Cinephiles. You're talking to me?
1: Then well, who the hell else are you talking to? You're talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay.
0: Hello and welcome once again to the Cinephiles and part two of our discussion of Martin Scorsese's 1976 classic, Taxi Driver. After his failed date with Betsy and his inability to get her on the phone, Travis Bickle decides that his only choice is to confront her face to face. (laughs) We go back to campaign headquarters, mm-hmm. and we have very similar shot setups. He comes in with this dolly, and then we cut to this his POV as it drives in on them, yeah, and
1: yeah. it is now extremely threatening. Yeah,
2: he's barely in there. Let's not have any
1: trouble. okay? you talking about? Why won't you talk to me? Why won't you talk to me? Why don't you answer my calls when I call you? think I don't know you're here? Let's not have any you think trouble. think I don't know? You think I don't know? Would you please leave? your hands off. Okay, then leave, okay? I just want you to know that i know. No, that let's not have do. any trouble. Please, just leave. This isn't the place to do. And Albert Brooks, you know.
0: Yeah Stands up, tries to take him out. Tries to be
2: the man in the relationship.
0: (laughs) You know, he does well. I mean, like when a crazy man Mm -hmm. like Travis Bickle walks in, that is not an easy guy to stand up to, particularly when he starts to take out and he takes on this karate pose. (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) He is ready to take him down. And
2: he's a Marine, a Marine with no hand to hand combat. That might have been a a move right there. I'm not a Marine, but I know we've been trained, we got trained in hand to hand combat in the Army, but that may be a hand to hand combat. Combat stance for a Marine, so I think only a Marine could tell it was us a yesterday. good cry. It, re- it was scary it
1: as was shit.
0: Just, yeah. And then, and then what he says next is even scarier.
1: You're in a hell, and you're going to die in a hell like the rest of Come on of- you now. There's a cop across the street. You're like the rest of them. Look, I'm calling the cops. Officer!
0: Man. Yeah. That is. And and the and Sybil Shepherd taking that in. I mean, this is really scary. It is, but at no point is she like necessarily
2: overtly unsettled or scared, right? You sense that this is a dangerous situation, but she's not running behind people and hiding behind people or screaming. No. She's She is unsettled. Uh, uh, sho- I think it's shocking. That's what I mean. It's shocking more than, and then eventually maybe later she'll be a little more unsettled by it. But this is an interesting moment, and I wonder, if if he hasn't been calling her, if he's never sent the flowers, right. is this shocking to her because she hasn't seen him in weeks, and all of a sudden he barrels in with this whole right. narrative in his mind that he's created because he's having this psychological break?
0: I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Albert Brooks gets him outside, he's <laughs> starting to call the cops. He really does. And he goes away. Yeah.
2: I half expected to see Sybil staring out the window at him as he yeah. walked by. Yeah. I
0: and he says this really weird thing.
1: I realize now how much she is just like the others, cold and distant. And many people are like that. Women for sure. They're like a union. Yeah.
2: Do you know me do you know people online feel this way? Oh, about shit. female pundits? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: They're unsettling these unsettling people. Yeah.
0: Well, this is the thing about Travis Bickle, is that he's not alone. Mm-hmm there are and, and you know there are a lot of travel spickle out there, there
2: are a lot of people who take women rejecting them and create a whole thing about it instead of accepting hey that's just not the right person for me they didn't appreciate me they take it as an offense as just heck. like all oh, re- the others right it's like all the others. you're rejecting who I am as a person just yeah. like all the others did
0: Yeah, and yeah it's an um, easy trap to fall into You ever thought about what a Martin Scorsese is like in a cab <laughs> we're about to find out put the meter
1: back let the numbers go on. I don't care what I have to pay. I didn't. I'm not getting out. Put the meter back on. Put it down. Put it. That's right. Put it. Put, put it down. That's
2: right.
1: Why are you writing? Don't write. Put the thing
0: down. Just sit. So he wasn't supposed to play this part. There was another actor who's going to play it, and it, he was in some kind of accident. Oh, and so Scorsese had to do it at the last minute. I can't imagine anyone else doing this. It's so great. He is great yeah.
2: in this scene. Whatever Scorsese acts, he's very enjoyable. Yeah. Quiz
0: show, he is great in quiz mm, show. Yeah, he is. Um, I haven't seen that. one. I like that movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. Um, he is creepy and, and funny and smiling. <laughs> and and De Niro's uh, completely non-acting acting he's yeah. just sitting there and listening in this scene. Again, this is the master class. Is watch De Niro take it in, and the little things he does, and he doesn't mess anything up. Yeah. And what we find out is that Scorsese's character has a forty-four Magnum on him, and his yeah. wife is up in that second-story window. We see her silhouetted, and she is with a man that is not him.
1: Do you, do you see the woman in the window? Yeah. Do you see the man. I don't want you to see that one because that's my wife. that's not my apartment
0: and he says some uh, racial slurs about the person who's up there yeah and then he says some pretty horrible things about what he's going to do with his 44 magnum which I may or may not play probably not yeah let's say not they're horrible yeah and uh, but it's
2: an unsettling uh, he's
0: really and he starts to laugh I bet you really think I'm sick
2: right you think I'm sick
1: I'm sick. <laughs> you don't have to answer. I'm paying for the ride. You don't have to answer.
0: It is really unsettling.
2: Well, I think, and this is what people need to understand: if you're if you're watching this movie, you're a male, and you're watching this movie, and you're kind of enjoying these scenes and laughing along with these scenes. This is real. Now, he may pre- he may be presenting it in a way that's slightly comical, but there are men who legitimately talk this way, feel this way, act this way violence towards women is just one second away from them doing it so it is comical in the scenes because it's scorsese with his rapid talk and his nutty stuff but the shit he's saying is just as toxic as anything bickle has said throughout the entire movie up to this scene just as it's even more violent because this is an older guy this is a guy who's gotten married this is a guy who seems like he's a businessman he's got a three-piece suit bickle is still figuring out who the hell he is he's young and he's coming out of the military or coming out of the Marines coming out of it, of war. And so uh, the, the parameters are different. And so, but still, what Scorsese's saying, just in this small scene, is very, very ugly. It's very ugly. And it's just unsettling.
0: Well, and part of understanding the man Travis Bickle yeah. is understanding the world that Travis Bickle inhabits. Right. And the world that he's inhabited, what have we seen? We've seen that he's there's common blood on mm-hmm. the seats. We've seen this guy in the back of his car is gonna do this horrible thing. Mm-hmm. We've seen Horribleness, yeah, and but- that is the world that he exists in, yeah. and so in figuring out, and, and it goes back to, to Betsy to Sybil Shepherd, mm. is he tries to bring her into his world, yeah, you know, as dark and seedy. He pretends that he can be in her world, mm. but this is the world that he lives in, so the responses to have to this world well, they make sense to him, yeah, yeah, yeah they really do. And in fact, he's starting to get to a really dark place. Mm-hmm. And when he gets back with the cabbies in the diner and we start having a conversation, he's even more disconnected until finally he says to Peter Boyle's character, whose name, by the way, is Wizard. Wizard, yeah. <laughs> in the in the show, hey, can I talk to you? And they go outside. And even as they go outside, there's this weird moment where he mad dogs this African-American guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, stares him down. And it is we- like, almost like he's kind of daring him. Mm-hmm. He's like, he is saying, what do you want to do to just some stranger who's walking by? There's a real
2: undercurrent and sometimes a very obvious current in a of, number of, of-
0: deep racism in yeah, film.
2: Is a number you? of the 70s films, oh, this, yeah. this fear of blackness, this fear- Absolutely. Because coming out of the 60s and civil rights, black the black communities were starting to feel power in this country, starting to feel representation, starting to feel like they mattered in a way that they hadn't before- it started in the 60s, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, this whole idea that, wait, our voices matter. The older generation that had supported Martin Luther and all that kind of stuff, yes, of course, the church, all that nonviolent. But the younger generation had come along, the Black Panthers, the militants. Yeah. So there was a desire to like, no, you, we ma- don't, you're not going to push us around anymore. You're not going to bully us and keep us, in, keep us in these terrible economic situations anymore. This is a racist society. So then there's fear. Right then, there's fear from the from the white side that has been so used to running things. All of a sudden, they sense fear in the situation, and so you see it throughout these '70s films. See, we saw it in French Connection with the way Hackman talks to some of those uh, the, some of the uh, black criminals. There, we see it with Dirty Harry with with Clint Eastwood the way yeah. he treats some of the black criminals in the, in the movie. So there is an undercurrent here, and sometimes an obvious current, as I said, of this kind of racism that was very on the surface in the movies. But I mean, well, how would I say this? Undercurrent in the movies, but very much on the surface in real life. Well,
0: and Schrader uh, wanted the movie was originally going to be far more racist because Schrader, who says that Travis Bickle is unquestionably a racist, mm-hmm. is that originally the pimp Matthew Sport? Oh yeah, and all of those guys in the house were going to be African American. Wow. And Scorsese is the one who said no. Yeah, we can't. Good. We're not going into that. Good. That, that's not what this movie's about. Damn right. And, and Schrader said he was right. Yeah, that's what the, uh, he made the right choice, and this is better this way. Um, so we go to talk to Wizard, and this is this moment you, you you mentioned before, where he's saying, "I just want to go out and you know, like really,
1: really, really do something." Taxi life, you mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. Nah, it's I don't know. I just want to go out. I really, I really want to, I got some bad ideas in my head. I just.
0: And you can see the thoughts are already going in his head that he is going to kill somebody. Well, he says, I'm getting these really dark thoughts. Yeah. And I don't know how to stop him. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really interesting, if you watch De Niro, his eyes never make eye contact with Peter Boyle. Yeah. They're always somewhere else. It's because he's ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my opinion. I, no, I no, like, I'm not saying. I think, yeah, I, it's, I think it's shame, um, and I think yeah. it's yeah. I, I I think it's a whole bunch. Because I think of stuff.
2: He, he respects Wizard. We've only had a certain amount of scenes, but I think he respects Wizard, which why he dragged. He dragged. It, it is the one rare moment, Steve, throughout the whole movie, where he is a, the uh, submissive. He's asking for help. Yes, yeah. and it's the He's rare saying, moment. Please. Yes, please and, help and me. me. And this is. I think this. This is what's so. This is the thing that redeems Bickle is that. He does want a way out. He just doesn't know how to find it because he's not smart enough. He's not educated enough or self-aware enough to find his way out of the situation. And he's surrounded with people who really don't have the tools to do it
0: either. No, well, and Wizard, who is the wise man of the (laughs) cast, he says this whole speech about, (laughs) well, you know, whatever you do, that's what you are. Right. You know, if you're a lawyer, then you're a lawyer. If you're a taxi driver, then you're a taxi driver. And then then at the end of the speech, he kind of says, so, you know, go out, get drunk, get laid, (laughs) go do something. All the stuff he's been doing already, that has not worked. Yeah, and, and I love I love De Niro's reaction. What De Niro smiles, by the way. Yeah, it is kind of magical, <laughs> particularly in this character of Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. and he and for the first and this is when he does look in the eyes like that's the dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. And <laughs> I, Wizard's response is, "What do you expect? of a cab a driver. Cab driver? <laughs> you Expect Bertrand Russell? Like, <laughs> it's
2: great. By the way, I love this. It just occurred to me now. His character is Wizard. We talked about this whole fantasy beginning with the steam. Oh, so yeah. this is, might be all connected here. So yeah, he
0: is the Merlin. He's the failed Merlin of the story, yeah, Yeah. yeah, because he's trying to be a white knight. Yes, yeah, he's trying to be a Bickel Is totally totally holds, and we definitely have princesses who need rescuing from 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 the dragons and from from the the dragons. Yeah, and then he drives away, and there's that great camera POV as it pulls away. Mm -hmm. Um, Travis is watching Palantine on TV while, and this is where he does make his cereal with peach brandy (laughs) and sugar on it. So weird. (laughs) Listen, when you got to get the booze in you, you got to get it in you. I guess. Um, and I always wonder when he's watching Palantine, what's he thinking? What's going through his head right now? Well, like maybe he's deciding. He already decided to kill him? Maybe.
2: And maybe he's decided this is how I can get famous or this is how I can make a statement or be noticed or be seen or be heard. And I, and I think as much as he wants to find place, he wants to matter. He doesn't feel like he matters. And so no one seems to see him. You know?
0: And it's so disturbing, by the way, that you know, six years after this, yeah. John Hinckley shoots President Reagan mm-hmm. to impress Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. who's in Taxi Driver, right? And like, and if you look at basically all the presidential assassins, they're all crazy people. Yeah, and they're all loners. They're all loners and right. crazy people. Yeah. Um, with apparently three names, um, <laughs> except for Sir Sirhan Sirhan, who had two names. Fair point. But he wasn't president. <laughs> but he was a yes. president. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, fair enough. But his two names are the same. (laughs) Drives by the campaign office and there is this shot of the desk, of of Betsy's desk with the sodas and then it cut to him and it is, there's something about those two shots cut together that are haunting and disturbing and creepy and powerful and emotional. Mm -hmm. And he's the shark again, circling. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point. And we have to talk about the editor on this film. Please. Marsha Lucas is that she was in many ways maybe the unsung hero of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And she the editing in this film, this might be one of my favorite editing I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. And there are two, there are two or three other editors whose names I, I would have to look up who came in because they ended up mm-hmm. having to cut this film in like a month, which oh. is really fast. But it is there's something about, because the shots are so odd, mm-hmm. and the way they're put together is so powerful. You know, and all the montage shots and all the kind of just the world of New York and his eyes and how it's it's a really, really well edited film. And editing is hard to talk about because we we don't know what the footage was. Right. Right. We actually don't can't know what most of these choices are, why the shot's there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the shot's there because the camera bobbles right after that moment. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. It's really beautiful editing. Uh, And leaves the campaign offices, and he starts driving, and he almost runs into Jodie Foster. And there's a big musical sting, and there's a girl with her that he almost hits, and we have to talk about her, because she is an actual teenage prostitute. She's 15, and Paul Schrader found her. I don't understand quite how he found her. Mm-hmm. But he was talking to her and went, oh, my God, this is Iris. And he called up Martin Scorsese. This says after he'd written the script. And he said, I found Iris. And he put her in a hotel room for the night. This all sounds a little weird. Yes, it does. And then he calls up uh, Scorsese and says, we have to have Jodie Foster meet, meet this person. And so Jodie Foster's mom brings this. Brings Jody to have breakfast with this teenage prostitute, and that is who plays this part in the movie. Wow. Yeah. Very weird, man. Yeah, there's, there's some really weird stuff in here. I think there's a lot of shit that went down in the
2: 70s that no one wants to talk about.
0: Well, yeah, and then we say, like, you know, let's leave that back there. <laughs> I don't want to leave the movies. Yeah, true. But I want to leave that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's weird. And and he follows them, and when he's when he's following Jodie Foster and her friend, and we're hearing
1: loneliness has followed me my whole life, everywhere, bars and cars, sidewalks, stores, everywhere. There's no escape. I'm God's lonely man.
0: <sighs> right. And God's lonely man. The other interesting thing about that line is that he thinks he's special. Mm-hmm. He is the. Exactly. Lonely man. Exactly. God's lonely man. And most of these people who do, who slide into this kind of
2: madness do feel this way, do feel that they're some, some kind of special because they think they're more aware of it than everyone else.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and he sees who all the scum and the filth mm-hmm. are and exactly right. what's wrong with the world. Right. Right. Yeah, back in his apartment, he's now got a Palatine poster on his wall, yeah. and right below that is "I need to get organized," which is the joke he made with uh, Betsy. Yeah, uh, and I think we're gonna need to get some weapons, so let's go meet Easy Andy, <laughs> traveling salesman. So Easy Andy is this is his first acting job; he's never acted before. Wow, he's a buddy of Martin Scorsese's, mm-hmm. who sounds like he wanted they wanted to make a documentary about him. He had been a roadie and a stand-up comic, and even at however old he is, which is probably thirty or something, mm-hmm. he had lived a life. Wow, sounds like and he he comes in and people were kind of Schrader was kind of worried how the hell is this guy who's never acted before <laughs> going to hold his own with De Niro he's great he's fantastic this scene is so weird yeah. as they're laying out a 44 magnum and a 357 or thir- 38 yeah. snub nose and all these guns there's something fascinating
1: about the scene right this might be a little too big for practical purposes in which case for you i'd recommend Thirty-eight snub nose. Look oh, at that! That's a beautiful little shot. It's nickel plated, snub nose. Otherwise, it's the same as a service revolver. That'll stop anything that moves. The magnum. They use that in Africa for killing elephants.
0: And he starts to push the drugs and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing that happens is with each gun, he takes this huge forty-four Magnum. Yeah, that gun is a cannon. Mm-hmm. And he puts it down, and we see a top-down shot. Right. And then we see each gun goes on this black thing. And each time we cut to it, we cut to a top down shot. Mm -hmm. And then he gets, I think it's the 38 and he aims out the window and there's this POV shot of him aiming out the window as he slowly, the camera pans along with his gun hand Mm -hmm. until he leaves it on this couple with umbrellas. Mm -hmm. There is something really disturbing about that shot today. Mm -hmm. It was probably disturbing in 1976. Yeah. I think it's on purpose, but it is disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting
2: to figure out that the, top down shots are done at the momentous yeah moments of his life like turning get, points yeah turning points yes getting the job the date the date uh and this moment and mm-hmm. then of course and maybe there's another one but there's a couple more certainly coming. the last one
0: yes absolutely yeah. so um and then yeah as you said at the end of the scene once he decides i'm going to buy all the guns yeah is he said? I love that the the Easy Andy goes.
1: How about dope, grass, ash, coke, mescaline, downers, nebuteolone, chloral hydrates? How about uh, uppers, and No, I'm not interested in that stuff. Crystal meth. I can get your crystal meth. Nitrous oxide. How about that? How about a Cadillac? I get your brand new Cadillac with the pink slip for two grand. <laughs> this, this
0: is the guy to know. Yeah. And now we go into some hardcore training. He's not doing the drugs. He's not doing the booze anymore. He's eating right. He's working out. And you see that ripped, mm-hmm. sinewy De Niro body yeah. of 1976. He uh, holds his hand over the stove. Ah, and I, it's not faked. Mm. That just looks like a dude holding his hand over the stove. Well,
2: remember he's a marine, so he's about to go into war. So yeah. he has to train himself to get into war, just like Charlie Sheen does with, with in, in Apocalypse Now. Like he's got to right. mentally get ready to go and take Charlie down in the in the forest or in the sorry in
0: the jungle. But like, and we he's f- see him firing the gun. They're great shots mm-hmm. of the camera moving. And what we should say about Scorsese is all of this is storyboarded. Every single detail That's he great. has worked out in advance. He, you know, he is a prepared, organized. As much as he's crazy and emotional yeah. in all sorts of ways. He knows what he's doing and you can see the construction of these sh- montages are just beautifully done. Yeah. And 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 again we have another top down in here mm-hmm. where we see all the guns laid out. Yeah. Um and then there's this shot he's in the porn theater again and he's aiming his fingers, making gun fingers and aiming at the screen and then he's holding his fingers in front of his eyes as he looks at the screen. I don't know what it is about that shot, but that's real to me. Yeah. In this way. Like I, I don't have you ever done that where you kinda of hold your fingers in front of your eyes and Oh, know, sure, of course. Like there's just something that's very human mm-hmm. and not staged about that mm-hmm. for me. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it's something that De Niro or Scorsese just like went, Yes, this is we have to do this. Yeah.
1: The idea had been growing in my brain for some time. True force. All the king's men cannot put it back together again. And we see him.
0: First, he's drawing one gun, then two guns, then the gun in the back. Then he builds this quick draw mechanism. Um, and you're just going like, what is happening? What is all this for? And he and he's putting this cross into the top of the bullet, mm-hmm. which I which I had to do research on. And that, that it causes the bullet to do form. So it causes more uh, flesh damage oh, when it goes into a person. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah uh, And there's a campaign event Palentine's <laughs> going to speak Howard Brooks is talking with the mic guy Again it's funny And uh, Travis walks up to this Secret Service guy
1: Hey you're a Secret Service man aren't you Huh Just waiting for the Senator you're Waiting for the Senator oh. That's a very good answer Shit I'm
0: waiting for the sun to shine. And this scene, this is, again, where I go, this scene is funny. Yeah. It's funny because you... And unsettling. Deeply, deeply unsettling. Yes. Because Travis is in this place. It seems like he's achieved this place of, I know I'm going to die. Yeah. So I don't really care. Right. He's got this big sort of, all I can describe is like a shitty grin on his face. Yeah. And he starts asking him questions and goes, you know, oh, I I think I saw some suspicious characters over there.
1: (laughs) They were very, very... uh... Suspicious.
0: Yeah. And he goes, uh, you know, I think I would want to be a Secret Service guy. And the guy asks his address. And he's really quick at coming up with this completely fake name yeah. and address. Gives the wrong number of digits for the zip code. Yeah. And then goes, I was oh, thinking my phone number. I <laughs> my phone number, which <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all.
2: Oh, so funny. But a lot of people talk about this in, in police, like cops and detectives and uh, policemen rather and detectives. And also Secret Service people talk about this, like when people are preparing themselves for to do this, they test the boundaries of the people that, that right. are going to be in that area protected. Like they like to almost brag about it that they're yep. going to do it. Well, because they want to be noticed.
0: That's what he. Yeah, I mean, I think him wanting to be noticed is mm-hmm. as important a motivation as anything. Yep. And that uh, is dangerous of a one. And then he, so he calls one of the other Secret Service guys over to take yeah. a picture of yep. him, and Travis gets the hell out. Yep. Do you think that he was thinking about killing the senator in this scene? Not in this scene I think he was casing it He was casing it As a
2: military guy would do Yeah You survey the landscape You figure out the battlefield You know where the ins and outs of that
0: battlefield is So that when you are ready You'll know what to do And case the security I think that's what's happening Absolutely Okay We have arrived at the most famous scene in the movie (laughs) Even people who have never seen this film Have seen this scene Travis Bickle Standing in front of a mirror You talking to me?
1: You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking to? talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay. What's really
0: funny is this is not my favorite scene in the movie. Oh okay. I mean, I appreciate why it's a famous. Sure, scene. sure. But I don't understand. I don't quite. I really don't understand why this scene is just so big. Okay. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the best scene in the movie.
2: I agree with you. Uh, and I. I don't think it's. That's the reason it stands out. It stands out because there is. Um. There is a, a, a kind of subtle badass nature to it, and it's also a moment that all of us relate to, where we feel. Uh, disempowered, for lack of a better term, in mm-hmm. certain situations and you want to fight back and you want to say, you're looking at me? Hey, corporation. You take them, yeah. You're take looking at me? Hey, person. You're looking at me? Hey, boss. You're looking at me? Like you want to have that moment of rebellion and strength and pushback yeah. from the people who you think are abusing you or not treating you well or doing whatever and so he has it. But there is, what you allude to earlier, Steve, there's that smile, that smirk. Yeah, It's the last, like almost last kind of weird charming moment for him because he has that kind of like smile and he's shaking his head and he looks and he's, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? And so, the, and just the way he delivers it all I think is what makes people enjoy the scene so much. The delivery, what's going on, the smile, the smirk and then he the quick look and the idea of a gun like sliding out of, probably the first time people have yeah. ever seen something like that, sliding out of his wrist to be used so quickly, Yeah, you know, it, it's unsettling in that way but it's his performance that makes everybody he's love great. it. He's
0: great. Yeah. And it's funny as you were talking. It, I think you're. I totally think you're right. And it reminds me now that you're saying that, Mm. in a weird way. With network, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Right? There's a similar sort of "fuck you" Mm -hmm. of this. You, you can't push me around anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm the little guy standing up. Mm -hmm. That is powerful. I'm God's lonely man. I'm God's little lonely man. God's lonely man. Yeah. And, and by the way, of course, this is improv. All of that course. was in the script from Paul Schrader was Travis Bickle stands in front of the mirror. <laughs> oh, and wow. Martin Scorsese is kneeling with headphones on right below him, sort of. And it took four or five hours to shoot. And it was, you know, De Niro sort of figuring it out as he went along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I said, among the most famous uh, shots in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then we go into this really weird thing of him standing there and we hear his monologue listen you fuckers you screwheads. here is a man who would not take it anymore who would not let and then there's a jump cut and then it starts over yeah listen you fuckers
1: you screw heads here is a man who would not take it anymore a man who stood up against the scum the cunts the dogs the filth the shit here is someone who stood up that is fully Godard kind of
0: moment. Well, yeah. And all of the editors were 100% against it, and they said it's a terrible idea, and Scorsese said, yeah, I love this, by the way.
2: Uh, me too, man. I
0: don't know what it is. I can't describe it. I love it because it makes sense, because he's a human being who is
2: snapping. Yeah. So to include his first attempt at a draft right. of saying his manifesto yeah. ma- humanizes him, Yeah, makes us connect to him more, and it makes us understand this guy who's still trying to figure out what the hell he's doing himself as well. It's a small thing, but it's a fucking brilliant thing yeah. because it it gave, brings us closer to Travis, yep. uh, whether we want to be or not. Because we've all had that moment where we say that speech in front of the mirror, we we don't get it right, then we adjust. Blah, blah, blah. We've all that's what he's doing essentially. He's, tr- and, he's writing to get away. And right? there's
0: something about listen, you fuckers, you screwheads. Yeah, yeah. You screw I've heads. never heard the term screwheads <laughs> as an insult before, but there's something about it that's good. Yeah, like he, it. We take another cab drive through more fire hydrant shooting, and we end up at a market. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Travis goes. It's obvious that he's known at this market, and he walks over to get something, mm-hmm. and then the camera stays on him. There's no coverage in the scene. Yeah. And we hear a robbery begin. Right. And it is handled. It's all in one shot. Travis comes back around, sees a guy robbing the store. He draws his weapon. He says something first. He doesn't shoot the guy no, in the back. No. And the guy turns with his gun and tra- Travis shoots him. Mm-hmm. So, a couple things about this. So, Scorsese described this scene in the commentary track or something I watched as Travis's first murder. Mm-hmm. I don't think this was a murder. Okay. I mean, just because the guy had a gun and was turning on him, sure, but he didn't
2: turn around to shoot at him. He, who, wh- wait, well, wh- how I can I say know. this? We don't know what he was going to do. Yeah, I don't know. But Travis didn't give him a chance. Yeah. So in a way, it's murder. And then something really weird happens. Because if the guy, it's like Greedo and Han Solo. I mean, who shot first? If Han shot first, you know, what do you say? If Han shot first, that's murder. <laughs> well, the guy was coming to take him
0: away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not
2: going to get us killed yeah, well, by Star Wars fans. I'm just saying that in this moment, if if he had turned and shot at De Niro first, and De Niro shot back, it's not murder. The fact that he says "Hey," and he knows he has a gun, so he has the jump on him. Right. The guy turns involuntarily, maybe turns with the gun, co- like right. you know, in his hand. It cocked. happens very fast. It really does yeah. so much so that you don't. He doesn't have a chance to respond to anything, and the guy shoots him.
0: Yeah, and then things get weirder because yes, because he says to the shop owner, "I don't have I don't have a permit for this yeah. gun." And the guy says, don't worry about it. First of all, they're checking to see if he's dead. Right. They have no sympathy for this guy on the ground, who we should say is African-American. Right. Yeah. Um, with he a says, lead pipe. Yeah. Don't, and, and, yeah. And he says, don't worry about it. The shopkeeper comes around with a lead pipe. Travis leaves, and the shopkeeper beats him with the lead pipe Yeah, and says, I'll take care of it. And we never come back here. We don't know what happened to that guy. Right? It is weird. It is. But the shopkeeper says this happened like five times or whatever. Yeah. So. He's taking out
2: his anger and frustrations himself. On this which, possibly right,
0: dead robber.
2: Right, which mirrors, of course, what Travis is planning yeah. to do himself yeah. is to take out his anger on he the people that he feels have been, in essence, robbing him or hurting him or you know, whatever, threatening his life. And so... This is a, a, Now it's an uncomfortable microcosm uh, because it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's, and this is probably New York at that time as well. This, yep. These people jumping in at a moment's notice to rob you. There probably weren't cops being able to walk around all the time to protect these shop owners. And these people come over and they're just trying to live their lives and do a business and pay their bills. And
0: they're getting threatened all the time by criminals. Well, and what seems like probably the racism of the shop owner too. Yeah, sure. You know, well, I don't, We don't know. I mean, we, we don't really know. But the guy yeah. does come out and beat an unconscious or it dead does. guy with a lead pipe. Yeah. And uh, then we cut to this weird thing, which is Travis is watching TV and he's watching American Bandstand. And the first thing he sees is an African American couple. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's on purpose. Yep. You know that. And and I don't know what he's thinking, but he is holding his forty four yeah. and he is watching these people dance on this TV. And he just killed this black guy mm-hmm. in this market. And he's pointing the gun at them. He's
2: pointing the gun at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why interesting, one of the shots, one of the couples dancing it looks like what's his face looks like. Um, sport with the white hat and the thing from behind
0: it kind of looks like him. so there's evocative stuff through this shot john i can't tell you how excited i am about the cinephiles new sponsor an absolutely incredible game
2: Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's
0: most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. And now we're going to get two things that are kind of uh, juxtaposed together, which is Palantine making a speech Mm -hmm. and Travis watching, while at the same time we're hearing a letter he is writing to his parents. And it is a weird, weird
1: letter. Dear father and mother, July is the month I remember which brings not only your wedding anniversary, but also Father's Day and Mother's Birthday. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact dates, but I hope this card will take care of them all. I'm sorry, again, I cannot send you my address like I promised to last year. But the sensitive nature of my work for the government demands utmost secrecy. I know you will understand. I am healthy and well and making lots of money. I have been going with a girl for several months, and I know you would be proud if you could see her. Her name is Betsy, but I can tell you no more than that. Yeah. Once again it's all fantasy world.
0: Yeah. And it's and the card the card that he's sending to says to a couple of good scouts. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Yeah. And as he's looking at watching this Palantine speech from his cab, cop tells him to move along. He moves Mm -hmm. along and he sends the card off. He says, don't worry about me. One day there'll be a knock on the door and it'll be me. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there'll be a knock on the door and it'll be someone saying I'm dead. That's what I keep thinking. Yeah. Because I don't think he plans on being around much longer. No. He's watching a soap opera and he has his foot on the TV. And slowly but surely, he's pushing the TV table. The TV's on a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. This is another moment that just seems so true, yeah, to me. I have done not exactly this, oh, but like this. Particularly when I was a kid. Can I break this thing?
2: Oh, testing the boundaries.
0: Yeah. yeah. What if I? What if I light this on fire? Right. I was a little bit of a pyro as a kid. Okay. You know, I was experimenting with things, and there's something about the sort of There's no reason to do this. Mm -hmm. This is stupid. What if I do this? And he pushes a little further and a little further. And then it explodes.
1: I love him.
0: And then he regrets it. Why did I do that? Yeah. That's just
2: real. There's something real about that. Once again, he's just pushing the boundaries, man. He's just to figure out where, yeah, he's just trying to figure it all out. It's yeah. Unc- yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a self-destructive move because he destroys the television. Yeah, it's his TV. Which brought him joy. Yeah. Or at least a window to the world.
0: And then he goes to try to see Jodie Foster again. Yeah. And he goes up to talk to her. Do you want some action? And she sends him to see Matthew. Yeah. And now we get to actually see Harvey Keitel.
2: He's great, by the way.
0: He is great. Yeah. Scorsese wanted him to play the Albert Brooks character at first. (laughs) I could see that, kind of. Look, Keitel's a great actor. Yeah. And he said, no, I want to play the pimp Mm. who was supposed to be African-American. Because he had seen this pimp that was this guy. Oh, wow. And he said, I want to do this. Yeah. It is a crazy character he's Mm -hmm. playing.
1: Officer, I swear I'm clean. I'm just waiting here for a friend. You're going to bust me for nothing, man. I'm not a cop. Then so why are you asking me for action? Because she sent me over. I suppose that ain't a 38 you've got in your son. 38? Huh? I'm clean, man. Shit, you're a real cowboy.
0: <laughs> then he says, I, I once had a horse on Coney Island. She got hit by a car. That's so don't random know, weird don't know shit, what this man. stuff means. And then we get to the stuff that is really disturbing. Because mm-hmm. he says she's 12 and a half and you can do anything you want with her. Yeah, you know? man. This is fucked up in 1976. It is really fucked up today. Yeah. I mean, and this is an issue. This is the thing. I've been thinking about this in something, as something we, we're going to have to talk about on the cinephiles for a long time, which is, should movies present the real world, horrible things included, Mm -hmm. or should the movies present a world that we aspire to? And at what point are things too real to be in the film? Because child prostitution is real. That Mm -hmm. really happens. It's still, Still happening today, And in a horrible thing. And there's a sense of like, I don't want Jodie Foster to be playing this part. I don't Mm. want to, you know, this is not, we shouldn't be showing this, Mm -hmm. you know? And yet, and then there's another part, it's like, no, yeah. we have to show these things.
2: Well, look at Natalie Portman in The Professional. How that's much, a really disturbing point. How much was she exposed to at such a young yeah. age, and does this affect her? Right. Um, because I hear some pretty, from friends who've worked with her on sets, some pretty insane stories about mm-hmm. her behavior. So it's like, okay, how much of that is... And then Jodie too. Jodie counts Mel Gibson as one of her great friends. Right. This is a very unstable person who has had numerous incidences of... Of being violent, verbally abusive, racist, all these kinds of things, yet she always defends him. Right. What is it? You know, and so there's there is being exposed to the harder edges at a younger age, is that does that damage you or affect you in
0: some way well, where you think this kind of behavior can be forgiven so easily? Well, and someone watching this movie in the world mm. and they see a Travis Bickle character, or they see this teenage prostitution, yep. or they see a Harvey Keitel character, and rather than going, Oh, that's terrible, they yep. go Oh, I like that, you know? Oh, right. You know, that that because, like, mm-hmm. for instance, if you have people smoking in a movie, yeah, and listen, I'm going to just say, smoking frequently looks cool in movies. Yes, of course it does. And that makes people more likely to smoke. Right. So therefore, you don't put smoking in the movie? You know, like, this is this weird thing of, are we supposed to m- be modeling great behavior? Mm. Or are we supposed to show true behavior? Mm. You know, and it gets complicated. It feels like a Patreon discussion. Oh, maybe this is a good mm-hmm. a good discussion for Patreon. Know, we maybe get, we'll, we'll put a pin in this. Yeah, we can't get too deep into this one here. Um, so he goes to talk to Matthew, and Matthew says, "Okay, it's." He says how much money it is, and I'm going to pay it. Mm-hmm. And then he goes with Iris to this building. Goes into the building. A guy charges him some money for the for the room. Creepy fuck. Yep. And by the way, a lot of the movie was shot in this building. This is one abandoned building that they took over. And so Travis's apartment is in here. (laughs) Iris's apartment is in here. They built other little things in here. They started tearing apart parts of the building Mm -hmm. to shoot stuff. They used this building a lot. And we walk into the room. He's reluctant to even walk into that room. Yeah. He definitely is uncomfortable. And the first thing he's asking her is, are you really 12 and a half? She doesn't want to answer. No. She's kind of... She's kind of all business. Mm-hmm.
1: So, mister, it's your time. 15 minutes ain't long.
0: And she wants to get right to business. Yeah, just to get it over with. And it is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And by the way, what they did, so Jody Foster, it wasn't legal for her to do some of the scenes. I'm sure. That's her older sister. She has a sister who's, 16, who's six years older, who's 18. So for anything where it's suggestive, where she's unbuttoning his, his pants or where she's Doing things; those are mostly shots of Jodie Foster's older sister. Wow! Yeah, and Jodie wasn't in the room. Good. um Yeah, didn't that make you feel a little yes. bit better about it? Uh, he finally gets that her real name is Iris, and he she keeps trying to get undressed and mm-hmm. do her job, and he keeps saying, "Don't do that." And he tries to remind her of this night where she got into his cab.
1: Yeah. When you remember me. You mean remember when you, you you got into a taxi? It was a checkin taxi. You got in and that, that guy Matthew came by and he said he wanted to take you away. He pulled you away. I don't remember. You don't remember any of that? No. Yeah. Well, that's all right, I'm gonna get you out of here. So we better make it or Sport will get mad.
0: And he again he has to stop her and stop her, and he says, I wanna help you. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want his help mm-hmm. at the beginning. And it's an interesting thing of going, when she says, I don't remember, I must have been stoned, I don't know if she remembers or not. Mm-hmm. And when she says, I don't want your help, I don't know what she wants. She is a hard character. Iris is yeah. tough to figure out. Yeah. Um, and and this is part of what we're gonna get into, is part of her doesn't wanna leave this life. Mm-hmm. And part of her, I think, really, really does. Yeah.
1: How's the matter with you? You don't have to make it, mister. God damn it, don't you want to get out of here? can you understand why I came here? I think I understand. Uh, I tried to get into your cab one night, and now you want to come and take me away. Is that it? Yeah, but don't, don't you want to go? I can leave anytime I want to. Well, then what about that one night? Look, I was stoned. That's why they stop me. Because when I'm not stoned, I've no place
2: else to go. Which a lot of people who get into this world feel. Yeah. You know, for whatever reasons, their parents reject them or don't understand them or um, just don't speak their language in so many ways and don't have the ability to speak their language in so many ways. And so they rebel and leave and you know sex was only the it was the only form of acceptance a lot of these kids are uh, emotionally and physically abused sexually abused by their parents by their family members i brother i've dated 3 or 4 women who've been abused by their uncles their fathers oh.
0: and um, brothers the so, numbers when you see the statistics are yeah, so high it's insane it's terrifying right well it, and 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 then there's also the thing of m- maybe they would like to go back But with everything they've been through, they don't know that they would be taken back. Exactly, you know. Yeah, and and he says, you know, well, I guess I tried. And she genuinely, I think, says,
1: "Yeah, I understand, and it means something,
0: really." Like she actually appreciates that he tried. And then they make a date for breakfast. Well, this is the thing that's interesting about Travis Bickle, isn't it, brother? He his earnest. Even
2: if he's clumsy, awkward, or too bold or too aggressive, he's earnest. In a way that's somewhat, f- uh, n- how can I say this? Uh, noble but clumsy. He's I, n- I agree, right? He's noble, but in a way that that is not a standard nobility. It's an un- it's an unsettling nobility or clumsy nobility. Well,
0: I mean, honestly, he's crazy. Yes, but he is trying to do the right thing. Yes, here. and the other thing I think that is that I think he is more himself. With Iris mm-hmm. than he is with Betsy. I think the person he's presenting with Betsy is is right. much more of a facade yes. than he is, particularly when we go to see them at breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know? And 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 by the way, before he goes out, he gives the twenty crumpled twenty dollar bill to the guy for the room. Yeah. And it is there's one shot where he's on a dolly. And so he's just moving, kind of floating down the hallway. And the hallway is really dark. The shot, there's a shot kind of looking down the stairs that's mm-hmm. very reminiscent of Kane. Oh, yeah. Uh, looking down the stairs with um, boss Jim Geddes. Yeah. And then there's just deep, dark shadows. The guy disappears in the shadows. And what Scorsese says is a lot of this is shot like a horror film. Yeah. And this is very much, very horror. Of course. Here. Of course. And then we go to breakfast. And Jodie Foster in this scene is. Bright and yeah. funny and seems very untouched. She's wearing these funny glasses mm-hmm. and she seems very untouched by what's been happening with her. Yeah. Um And you and can she,
2: see how young she is. Her teeth are still kind of coming in, or yeah. freckles on her face, all of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The way she's putting
0: jelly on her toast. So that is something that the actual prostitute that she met, that's what she did when she had breakfast with Jody Foster. <laughs> oh, really? That's where that came from. <laughs> from that. So brilliant. And it is a weird it is a weird moment because she puts sugar on the mm-hmm. jelly. It's a very strange moment, uh, and and apparently, so when De Niro met Jodie Foster, he took kept taking her aside and go, "Let's rehearse the scene." And they did it over and over yeah. and over again, and Jodie Foster said it was a real acting class. I'm sure, like one of her great acting classes. And what they did it so much that then he started to throw out different lines. Mm-hmm. And and she, the lesson she said she learned is that you can only improvise when you know it so well that you're ready to expect anything. Of course and 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 in this scene there are lots of things you see her reaction Mm when she laughs like i don't know who's weirder you or me (laughs) like those are some of those are improvs that are happening within the
1: scene that's great are you a narc do i look like a narc yeah (laughs) i am a narc (laughs) god i don't know who's weirder you or me
0: I don't know who's weirder, you or me. It's so <laughs> fun and yeah. light and real. Mm-hmm. It's a really good scene. But he is very judgmental of her. Like,
1: hey, I'm not square. You're the one that's square. You're full of shit, man. What are you talking about? You you walk out with those fucking creeps and low and degenerates out on the street, and you sell your sell your little pussy for nothing, man. For some low life pimp stands in a hall. I'm the I'm square. You're the one that's square, man. I don't go school and fuck with a bunch of killers and junkies the way you do. You call that being hip? What world are you from? And that's the thing is that
2: Travis has a view of the world that he wants to shove other people into oh, yeah. and make them adhere to that may not necessarily be true. But in the end, which we'll talk about, it's a very interesting ending, man.
0: So, but anyway, this well, scene is just him. Clear, yeah. He's right. In this I mean like she's twelve. Right, but if she her parents, should not be doing this. But if we don't know if her parents were abusing her sexually, so we he may be forcing that. her back
2: into don't a know.
0: terrible thing. Well, and she keeps defending Well she says I can't
2: go home. They don't understand me, man. They don't care about me, man.
0: Well, and she says the sport really cares about me. Yeah. He really likes me. What, and, yeah. and 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 Travis says he's the scum of the earth. Right. I mean, like his anger, the most kind of nastiness we see come out of him is mm-hmm. really coming out of him talking about sport. Right. Yeah.
2: And, and the thing is, how many of us haven't been in a situation where we see a, a, you know, a female friend of ours or someone we care about in a relationship yep. with a bad guy and we try to talk them out of it and make them aware of how they're being mistreated? Uh, and vice versa, you, you, if you have a male friend who's in a bad relationship with a the, with the woman who's mistreating them, you try to get them to see what they're doing, the pattern of mistreatment, but you're not going to see it. And, it's, and a lot of uh, women who get into prostitution at a young age this is how pimps do it. They remove, oh, yeah. They turn, it's almost like a cult. They remove your identity so that your only identity is connected to them and they are the only ones that can make you feel
0: wanted or important in the world. Well, and that's exactly where we're going next yeah. because Travis is going to be outside in the cab and this is really the only scene in the movie where we're not with him. Yeah, And and the way they get around it is they say, oh, he's outside looking in. Right. Uh, but we're going to see Harvey Keitel and Shoddy Foster and she starts with, I don't like doing this. And he, it is the seductive, really creepy, upsetting scene to yeah. me mm-hmm. where he says, no, baby, if you liked it, then you couldn't be my woman. Oh man. That is, that is fucked up. Everything he does is psychological warfare
2: yeah. on a young child yeah. with low self-esteem.
0: So here's what's weird. This is what Scorsese says is about the scene, which I couldn't just disagree with more. Yeah. He said, and this scene's not in the script. Harvey Keitel wanted to do this scene. This is his idea. And Scorsese wanted to do this scene to show that uh, Sport really does care about Iris and that he doesn't beat her or hurt her. And I'm like, that is not what this scene is showing me at all. Not at all. It sees what you just said. This is right. psychological warfare Absolutely. to control a child. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it's, oh, and this, is, we, this has come up on the cinephiles a few times where it's yep. like what the director or the writer thinks is what we're getting. It's not what I'm getting. No. Um, it's seen this is among this might be the most uncomfortable scene in the whole movie for Mm -hmm. me even more than the violence
2: (laughs) right because she starts out by saying she doesn't want to do it anymore
0: and if he really loved her he'd stop making her do it and one weird thing is he puts a record on and he puts the needle on the record Mm -hmm. and what plays that same Travis Bernard Herman theme yeah apparently the album came out before the movie came out (laughs) and and, and Sport went out and bought it I guess it's very strange and then at the end he ends with him saying Uh, you
1: know, what times like
0: this, I know I am unlucky, man. Oh, man. And then they kiss. Yeah. Ugh.
2: Very creepy. Uh, this is a 12-and-a-half-year-old child.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> And we immediately have a hard cut to him training with a handgun with these jump cuts coming in and these shots of these targets. And it is re- we feel the move. Now, we're, we're, it's really propelling us yeah. towards something. Mm-hmm. Um, we see he burns the flowers. He's sharpening the knife. He's typing the knife to his boot. He writes a letter to Iris, and he sends her the money. He says, dear Iris, this money should be enough for your trip. By the time you read this, I will be dead. Yeah. So we're, we're getting there. What's the point of an Iris in a camera? Ooh, it opens and closes for light. I mean, yeah. Or an iris in your eye. I mean, sure. that's, that's where the term comes from. It's okay, from your eye. Um, yeah.
1: Interesting. She okay. may be his way out, his light. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Now I see it clearly. My whole life is pointed in one direction. I see that now. There never has been any choice for me.
0: Valentine's in a crowd. We're back at Columbus Circle. Albert Brooks introduces him. Travis gets out of the cab. We don't see his face yet. Uh, We see him through the crowd. Again, no face. He takes a pill, and we see him with that mohawk. Oh, Infamous mohawk. Yeah. And by the way, it's a bald cap, which I didn't realize. Oh, really? He didn't shave his head. His hair is underneath that. (laughs) That's a really good one. That's awesome. And he looks really creepy. And I (laughs) love that he's smiling and clapping Mm -hmm. at the speech. And again, we're in this. This guy knows he's going to die. Yeah. Like, he's just... His life is over. Secret Service is scanning the cloud. The fo- the speech ends. Palantine starts to exit. Travis is moving forward. He's smiling. Yeah. He reaches for the gun, and they point to him. They spot him.
2: So is he reaching for the gun? Why doesn't he use the gun that's in his? So they wouldn't catch that. But why does he mm. reach the gun that's inside? Is that's he really question. reaching for the gun, or is he trying to like once again do a dry run and see how far, how close he? Can I get? thought
0: he was going to kill him. Okay, there. that's fair. That's what I. Thought. I'm sure it's a fa- it's a fair assumption to make, obviously, because he's reaching in. So. I mean, my, my assumption is he wants that big forty four. Yeah, unless did he leave? He didn't leave the forty. He didn't. He didn't shoot the guy with the forty four in the um, market. No, I think that was no. He, and he game. leaves
2: the gun. Yeah. Because he the guy it. in the yeah. market takes the gun He takes that gun. as it's a self-defense yeah. thing, yeah, so that um, Travis doesn't get in trouble. And
0: anyway, they spot him, they run after him, the mm-hmm. Secret Service falls down, and he manages to get away. Yeah. Um, and here's the next thing that, uh, so remember I said there's this quote from Schrader that I love. Oh, yeah. So the first, the quote started with, the girl he desires he can't have, and the girl he can have he can't desire. He fails to shoot the father figure of one and shoots the father figure of the other.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He wants to make the Madonna into a whore and the whore into a Madonna. Interesting. I'm like, that's, that says a lot about this movie. Yeah. Because now he's going to make the, he's just failed to shoot the father figure of one. So what's he going to do? He's freaking
2: out in his hotel, yeah. in his apartment rather. He goes
0: back to his apartment, he yeah. takes some yeah. pills and then he heads out back to Kaitel. Mm-hmm. Kaitel's making some kind of deal in the corner. Travis pulls up in the cab, driving fast, pulls over in sort of a crazy way, walks across the street to Kaitel.
1: Hey, sport, how you doing? Okay, okay, my man. But where do I know you from,
0: man? Because it's obvious something weird's going on. Yeah. And one of the things that Nero, I think, does better than anybody else is the pause. (laughs) Is he's not answering in the correct rhythm. No, you're right. It's really weird and awkward in this Do I know you? Do I know you? How's Iris? You
1: know Uh, Iris? No, I don't know nobody named Iris. Iris, come on, got it, man. You don't know anybody by the name of Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris.
0: And then he, Kaitel, flicks a cigarette at him. Yeah. Kicks him in this weird way. Yeah, because he's something about, oh, you got a gun? He says, do you got yeah. a gun? Yeah. Yeah. And then pulls out a gun and says, suck on this, and shoots him in the belly. Yeah, yeah. man. And suck on this, isn't. it was in the script. And, oh. uh, and Scorsese and De Niro just loved suck on this. <laughs> but then it's De Niro's idea that rather than going straight into the building, that he walks over and sits on the stoop. I love that moment, Steve. There's some about it. It's very real. It's real. He's
2: yeah. he's like the black guy he kills in the in the convenience store is a spur-of-the-moment thing. This is planned out. Yep. Therefore, there's more responsibility here in his right. mind. So when he shoots him, he is he has finally made a decisive he's in this moment. A decision yep. of yep. what to do with his life. He has made yep. a proactive decision, spending the whole movie pondering what to do. He has finally yep. done a proactive decision straight up that he planned out, shoots him, sits on the stoop to kind of take a moment to understand of what he's doing and if he's going to keep going. And if he's going to keep... So I think in that moment, he's contemplating, I can stop right here. I can stop yep. right here, get in the cab, get the fuck out, no one's going to know. Yep. And then I think, he then boom, he just, no, he, no, I, I, know have to I have to finish this. He goes
0: into the, the building. Yeah, man. And, and this action sequence, first of all, is really, really hard to cut. Yeah, I'm sure. Really hard to cut, very hard to shoot. Um they all the editors worked on it until finally they still couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. And who comes in to help finish editing this scene? Steven Spielberg. Oh what? Spielberg comes in to help Spielberg? edit. Spielberg? Yep.
2: Spielberg. Yep. I don't
0: believe it, man. That's what that's the legend. Mr. Disney? Yeah. Mr. Mr. H- Feelgood. This is not his kind of wow. movie, but you know what? He's a great craftsman. Well, of he understands he is. film. First guy comes in, which is the guy that brought him to the room. Mm-hmm. He shoots his hand off or shoots a bunch of fingers shoots off. Fingers his hand. Up, yeah, it is a brutal shot. And but and I have to talk because the makeup guy, whose name I don't remember off okay. the top of my head, is fantastic. And uh, he described how you do these things is like for this if there was more room if you're not in a narrow hallway you would attach like fishing lines to the fingers and you would pull them off right but they couldn't do that because there was nowhere to get close to it so they had to build a whole device build a squib into a wax hand oh. and actually blow the fingers off of this guy oh. whose hand is down in his sleeve jesus christ and then and then travis gets He's shot in the neck yeah, he gets shot in the neck, neck. Because they telchemy. had to build a completely new mechanism mm-hmm. for the to, the blood, because it keeps bleeding out of the neck. And yeah. then, of course, what you have to do, whenever you're dealing with things like blood, is you always have to match it. So you're sh- constantly shooting polaroids <laughs> to see how much blood is out at this moment, so that you can pull out a shirt. Oh, now that shirt has too much blood on it. We need a blood <laughs> with only eight in- shirt with only eight inches of blood. Um, and who shot him in the neck? Keitel, Keitel, and he shoots him again. Right, yeah, and we also see upstairs, Iris is hearing these gunshots.
2: Yes, yeah, and he shoots uh, because he's he shoots Keitel twice to make sure he's dead. Yep. Then the old the old guy with the he's still, still coming there the, still up the stairs. yeah shoots him shoots him and uh, and then the guy still comes up the stairs screaming at him like you son of a bitch you right. son of a
0: bitch well, and that's when he gets shot in the arm <gasps> right and he turns around and shoots this guy in the face and the
2: guy we see who shoots him in the arm is the same guy who's just talked and gotten money from right from, from, from Kaitel and we yeah. see the guy had a gun because he pulls his pulls his suit. Jack, the side of his suit jacket back to put the right, money back did. in, and you see the gun. the gun. So, in my mind, I thought he was an undercover cop who was using oh. this pimp to have sex with these underage girls because he's a sick fuck, which happens sometimes. Sure. Some of these police guys are that way, criminals too. Like It's just there, the CD six underbelly. Six everywhere. Yeah, yeah, six
0: fucks everywhere. Not in the cinephiles. <laughs> no. Um, and the, then the, the old guy's still clamoring still to him. Coming. Yeah. He shoots this guy in the face, and the way they do that is they have little blood pockets built up around his face right. connected with. Um, fishing line that are going off in different directions and apparently the guy gets all rigged up which takes like three hours and he's got little fishing line taped to his face and his girlfriend comes up and goes oh you got a hair out of place and reaches up and grab one and starts to pull it and they go no oh my god stop her in time because what they're doing is guys off camera pull these things yeah, and that makes the face wiggle and then the the blood come out (laughs) I just just love practical effects they're kind of fascinating they're really smart people to figure out how to do them that's incredible um um, and yeah, and then he's, that guy is still coming after him, <laughs> charges up up the stairs as Travis gets to uh, Iris's room, yeah. he tackles him, Yeah, and he pulls out that knife that he had in his boot, drives it through his hand. <laughs> Crucifies him almost. And he, basically, and that that one is with a, it's a knife with a retractable blade that right. goes on one shot, and then we cut to the shot of the blade coming out of his hand. Yeah, and Jody's yelling, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. Travis shoots him. hmm and then what does he do? He takes the gun. Shoots himself. Tries to shoot himself. Tries to shoot himself. Yeah. Click. Yeah. Click. He was going to kill himself. Well, and this goes to like this, why watching this movie today, you know, in 1976, there hadn't been all of these mass shootings where people kill a whole bunch of people right. and then kill themselves. Right. That hadn't happened yet. Now this happens all the time. Hmm. I mean, it was tragically. And one of the things that, uh, this is a slight digression or is that, one of the things they've talked about in terms of why are we having so many of these mass shootings is this idea of copycats. Of yeah. Once you see that such a thing is possible, then that's in your mind as a thing that you could do. And there's like there's this yeah. famous study and thing that happened in Indonesia. There was this rash of suicides in the 80s. And, that, and it be, they became very publicized. And that more and more people started committing suicide, which they had never done before. And when they stopped broadcasting the news of suicides... Then the suicide rate went down, Wow, because people got stopped seeing it, and I think about Travis Bickle, and then I think about what's happened in the world today, and I'm not blaming what's happening in the world today on Travis Bickle but- no, but I would blame them I would absolutely blame
2: newscasts and media for uh
0: sensationalizing this kind of stuff absolutely because if you are. The Travis Bickle of today—you are disenfranchised, mm-hmm. you're lonely, mm-hmm. you're having mental health problems, you're, you know, and you maybe you've had terrible experiences in your youth, and you're going, "What do I do?" Right? And you see constantly this barrage of people going into a place with automatic weapons and then killing mm-hmm. themselves or being killed by police. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, right. you know? And then, and of course, that's what happens the next moment. And this shot—I think this might be the most intense shot of the film hmm. the police come in in slow motion and Travis Bickle raises his bloody finger to his head and pulls the trigger you know the gun finger yeah I times. love that sound it's it's amazing, and we should say by the way, the sound design in this movie is fantastic. It really is unbelievable. Sound design and the sound designer went on the next movie he did after this is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, oh. which also has unbelievably great sound. Maybe they met on the set. Kind of different. Kind of different movie. That's <laughs> kind of different. Um,
2: yeah. The blood-soaked fingers are everything, oh. though,
0: dude. Man, it's such a great touch. And then what? And then the next shot is I think when you were referencing before mm. is we have this top-down shot looking down at the scene in slow motion as it moves out. Yep. So a couple things about this shot. The first thing is is they had been prepping for this for weeks. And what they did, because they're in this abandoned building is they literally cut through the ceiling, they cut through structural beams. Wow. And so the building is starting to fall down. <laughs> Because of them destroying it in order to get this shot, and then because of the child labor laws, they had gone over, so they're running out of time, and to shoot this scene with Jodie Foster, they only had 20 minutes. Wow. They shot this in 20 minutes. Holy shit. Buildings falling down around them, Jodie Foster has to go, and it is a remarkable shot. Yeah. Yeah. As it it moves out, we go down the stairs, we see the results, we see the guns, we see the bodies, we see the blood. We go outside in this world that's where the police and Mm -hmm. press and people are surrounding to looking at this moment. It is a very slow exit from a very horrific scene. Mm -hmm. And then the movie goes in a direction that is so surprising. I I remember when I saw it the first time and I went, what? Yeah. Yeah. Which is that he's a hero? It's a fairy tale ending. Yep. To this fairy tale, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's newspaper articles about this hero taxi driver, and we hear this letter from Iris's parents. It's such a sweet letter, thanking him. It is really sweet that she's back home. And then we see Iris's parents, her.
2: but they're like super old.
0: Yeah. They're not like in their forties.
2: No. They're people in their sixties almost. They're
0: clearly, people of you know simple people. Yes. And they write a really nice- It's a sweet letter, man. Letter
2: to him. I almost got emotional listening to that. Yeah. Because the guy says, we can't afford to come to New York anymore, but yeah. if you find yourself in Pittsburgh, you'll be more than a welcome guest yeah. in our home.
0: It's very and sweet. They thank him, and then, and then we're back to the cabbies, and there's Travis- Right. Looking okay, and he's hanging out with Peter Boyle and the other guys. They're still calling him killer, which is so weird. It's weird. Yeah. And they say, you got a fare, and he gets in his cab, and he starts driving away, and he's yeah. kind of looking in the- mirror and we hear that great Bernard Herman saxophone mm-hmm. and we hear hello Travis. Yeah. And there in the mirror is Betsy. That's a beautiful shot mm-hmm. of her in the rearview mirror. And what's so interesting is, is they have a really nice conversation. Yes. But a conversation where Travis is in power. Yeah.
2: For the first time ever. He's, Peaceful. He's almost calm he's and, calm and peaceful. peaceful. He's got the upper hand in a way in the situation.
0: He doesn't want anything from her. No, he's not trying to get her. He's not nope. angry at her. He doesn't. He's just like, no. She asks about what happened because yeah. she read about it in the papers, of course. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's he's, not a big deal.
2: He's very magnanimous. Yeah, you know the papers. They over. They make these things bigger than they yeah. actually
0: are. And then he lets her out. <laughs> yeah, it drives her home. Right, drives her home. She gets out. Yeah. She walks around the mm-hmm. driver's side window. Mm-hmm. There's a pause, almost as if she expects more from him. Yes. Like, yes. I think she she would have continued this in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. And she says, What do I owe you? Finally. And he drives away. Well, he puts the thing down. He says, Don't worry about it. Don't and worry about it. it. Drives away. He drives away. Yeah. And then we have. So, and we kind of go like, oh, he's. Okay, I guess Travis is okay. How odd. And then there's this moment where there's this musical sting, which I'll tell you about in a second. Yeah. And he jerks his head. You see the red on his face, the red light on his face. Red light on his face. And then that's the last we're going to see of Travis Bickle. Mm-hmm. And then we have just really beautiful shots of the streets of New York Yeah, as we hear this music. Mm-hmm. So first let me tell you about the musical sting and then we can Please talk do. about what this means. So Bernard Herrmann recorded a st- he said you know they said we want one more sting for this moment. Bernard Herrmann recorded it and uh and Scorsese didn't like it Oof. and said yeah I don't I don't really it's not intense enough it's too normal. And Herman, who sounds like he was pretty gruff mm-hmm. said ah just play it backwards. And that is what it is. It's that musical sting played backwards. <laughs> you can hear it's played backwards. And that is the last piece of music yeah. Bernard Herman ever recorded right. that sting. What do you think it means? I- Fucking love this moment. And I'm sorry to cuss so hard. But it's taxi driver. Yeah,
2: but these okay. these genuine mom these like brilliant brilliantly artistic moments in film that are quick to me are gold. They're diamonds. They're treasures because in the right hands of a right filmmaker, they mean so much. Which is this whole fairy tale ending. Is it real? Is it not real? I don't know. The letters, I don't know any if any of that is real, right? Let's say it is real and everything worked out, right? He's back driving a cab again. God knows why he's driving a cab again. He killed a gangster, an Italian gangster, and apparently they do not nobody wants revenge on him for it, uh, which is an insane stretch of the imagination. I think that's believable. And then he gets in the cab, and she knows exactly which cab to get in. Interesting. Sits in the cab, drives... He's all in Paris is calm. He's the he's the he's the guy who's like in charge. Then when she you think he's this noble knight, he's gone through his hell, his like trial by fire and he's come out the other side and that flash Shows you that that evil bickle is still in there, and that's what that is to me. It shows me that no matter how sweet or normal he is, there is that underbelly of uh anger at the world that will never go away, and it's schizophrenic, it's, it's yeah. almost schizophrenic, an illusion because he has this other side of him that is darker and more violent and more angry that will always be below this bubbling below the surface, no matter how sweet of a hero he's turned out to be because he wasn't. Heroic necessarily. No. And so uh, the papers may have turned him into a hero, but he knows who he really
0: is. Well, I don't know if he knows who he really is, but I totally agree. That moment is to say, no, no, he's still Travis Pickle. Uh huh. Nothing's changed. Uh-huh. He might be having a moment of stability and control and, right. and, and calm, but that's just the calm before the storm. He is who he is.
2: And, and I just wonder if the studio said to Scorsese, you got to put a happy ending on this thing. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a fucking happy ending. But that I don't not a little bit something too. It's a good question. It's it would have
0: really been, been great. No, it's an interesting, it's, an, it. it's a very unsettling place to end that movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, it's not knowable. We don't really get to know. Yeah.
2: And I never, ever want to see Taxi Driver 2. I never, ever want to see sequel Travis Bickle, De Niro doing Travis Bickle now at like 70 years old. No. Because I'm sure they've come well, with ideas course, for a Taxi
0: Driver 2. And I'm sure there's been a briefcase full of money. <laughs> Um, Two or three. Do you happen to have final thoughts on Taxi Driver?
2: Yeah, I would just say this. If you haven't visited this movie in a while, maybe you've been afraid to see it, maybe like me, maybe you been nervous to kind of walk back into this world. If you've gotten on a little bit older in years from the last time you saw it, I would encourage you to watch it again, especially in light of where our world is now and the things that we've seen and experienced and the changes that have happened in the world. Um, you might find yourself... Un, uh, uncomfortably understanding Bickle a little bit more than you did before um, and finding some compassion for him while still maintaining the belief that what he did was wrong and shouldn't have done the things that he did. But I think the film also is an incredible exploration of the uncomfortable things that we may feel at times and don't act on them, but we certainly think them sometimes and are afraid to explore Uh, the darker sides of our nature. And I think that's what this film really does for you. It allows you to explore it without you having to actually explore it within yourself. And that's the mark of a great movie.
0: I think one of the things that Travis does is he divides the world up in a very black and white way. Mm. He sees it as, you know, as you said at the very beginning, this is knights in shining armor and wizards and dragons and evil and good. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have a tendency to do that. We hear about a certain behavior, right. or we hear about a certain person that does a certain kind of thing, and we go, oh, well, that person's evil. Yeah, And I think that is a dangerous fiction mm-hmm. to walk around with. And I think it's good, not all the time, but <laughs> some of the time, to go into a movie that forces you to look at things in a way that you didn't look at them before. Mm -hmm. It forces you to look at the world through the eyes of someone like Travis Bickle and actually sympathize with this person who is not actually, who's a person that's kind of scary, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet we're kind of with them and kind of enjoy them Mm -hmm. even when we're watching them do some things that are pretty despicable, yeah, you know? And I think, that helps us to see the world uh, in a different way, in a more nuanced way, in a more sympathetic way, and maybe in a way that will help us to solve some of these problems. Because really, as we see in the world, as we talked about with mass shootings, yeah, this isn't going away. Yeah, and we're not gonna we're not gonna solve any of it by going, oh, those are bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. That doesn't help us. We got to understand what is making a person go into a room and do a thing like that, and. This movie made in 1976, before they had the term PTSD, before all these mass shootings, I mean, there have been a couple of mass shootings, but not many. Before all that was happening, man, it seems like it has some deep insight into the way the mind works. And what's interesting to me about it is the only way they get deep insight is if Paul Schrader and Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese had been there to some degree. Mm -hmm. You, you can't have the insight unless you've been there. It's too truthful, too real. It's too real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what we think about Taxi Driver. As always, we definitely want to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page at The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Spotify. <laughs> you can review, leave reviews or comments at a whole bunch of those places. We love reading them. They really help us on iTunes. They help us on Spotify. They're fun to look at on uh, YouTube. Yeah. We really enjoy them. If you want to suggest a film... You can go on patreon.com just like Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. We got a whole bunch of films coming up that came from our Patreon subscribers. We really appreciate them. That's patreon.com slash the If you haven't seen Taxi Driver yet, and you want to buy it, the 40th anniversary Blu-ray is really, really good, and it's available for purchase on our (laughs) website at cinephiles.net, as are every movie we've ever reviewed. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me at sr morris on Twitter. John, where can they find you?
2: (laughs) They can find me not buying the 40th anniversary of this film. Although now... Having seen it this morning, I think I might buy it. Actually, jokingly enough, like because I might want to see the behind, the, watch the behind the scenes it's and the it's special the features stuff on. Oh, it. that's a, I'm gonna buy it then, uh, and I will actually go through our
0: uh, our, our uh, Because link. We, If you do that, yeah. we will make like seventeen cents, <laughs> and we will split that <laughs> yeah, well, evenly. Thank you. I don't you. know who gets the half penny. We'll that's, figure it out.
2: That's fine. <laughs> I'll get some chuckles with it. But okay. <laughs> oh, you guys can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram and. This has been an enjoyable episode for me to do because this was a film I was so, so dreading. Yeah. And to have it turn out in such a positive way, uh, an enjoyable way, uh, was a lot of fun. So,
0: Well, I'm glad you had fun and I hope that everyone listening had fun. Yes. I definitely had fun. And that is it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.